start in Matthew 18, verse 10, and just read a few verses here. It says, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. For even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let us pray before we continue. Lord, I just ask that you would use this scripture, Lord, to, to teach us, to, to reach our hearts. Um, Lord, I pray that the words that I have to speak this morning would be helpful, would be true and right and honoring to you in some way, Lord, and that they would be of help to those listening. So, Lord, I just ask for your help this morning, and we commit this time into your hands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, as we've been going through this chapter, the beginning of the chapter started with Jesus speaking of little children, and he pulls a small child and puts the child right in the middle of everybody, screaming its head off. (laughs) And he continues talking and using that child as the example of, this is what I want you to be. Not necessarily the screaming part, but trusting like that little child trusts. And then last week we we looked at the, the verses that followed And he just continued talking about offenses and sort of broadened that out to to a general sense to all of us and in all areas of life, not just regarding little children. But today, we're going to look back in verse 10, he turns our attention back to children. And if you look, verse 10 and verse 14 both refer to children. And that section in the middle if you took it by itself, doesn't necessarily speak of children, but those bookends of verse 10 and 14 should draw our attention, as that's our kind of our focus, is children in some way in this passage. Verse 10, um, it has a, a part in that verse that I just want to spend a little bit of time with and I'm not sure I'm not that thorough in what I'm saying this morning. It's not like a complete study on angels or anything like that. But it, it makes mention of angels and in a way that maybe can cause some confusion. So I just wanted to maybe add to that confusion, hopefully maybe clarify a little bit of it if I can. 
So it says, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. And I imagine that that child that he had brought in and sat in the midst of them is still sitting there. And so he's still pointing to that child. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. And it's easy to read over that and just carry on, but what does that really mean when he says, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven? And I'll admit I don't have a complete answer to that, but I'll give you the best I, I've got is of an understanding from, from reading and studying on that topic. Now, first, I guess, if you look, what, what does the word angel mean? And you look up your Greek word for angel, and I didn't write down what it was, but you know what the definition is? It's messenger. It's like, well, that's not very helpful in this case, is it? <laughs> to, to say that their messengers are always beholding the face of my Father, which is in heaven. That, that's not a, a great help, just looking at that Greek definition of the word that was used there. So we need to look into scripture and see how is this used and what could this possibly mean. And so I think there's a couple of misconceptions of angels that maybe I should just make sure are, are clear. And I'm sure most, most people who are in church understand these things. Um, but if you watch the, what on public television, what has what the Christian community typically has watched, like Touched by an Angel, and what was the one before that with um, Highway to Heaven? That's the one. These are not good descriptions or depictions of what the Bible describes as an angel. And so there's a lot of wrong ideas out there of what an angel is and, and what they do. And so maybe just to clarify that, so the one question is like, do people turn into angels when they die? No. no. <laughs> there is not a single scripture that points to that. Angels, and I, I don't want to go through, like we could go through scripture and show scripture, but angels are a created being. Um, they were created, and we see various points where, um, even when we see the fall of Satan, who was Lucifer, who was a covering angel. He was the closest angel to God. And he rebelled and said, I will be like the Most High. And he got lifted up with pride. And he fell. And he was cast out of God's presence. And it says a third of the angels were cast out with him. And so, but we see these descriptions in Scripture that clearly tell us that this isn't people <laughs> who, who died and it's not their spirit and then they became an angel. These are a created being who are created with a special purpose. And that main purpose is 
to worship God, <laughs> to be in his presence. And they have different roles and, and different classes of angels, if you want to say it that way. Um, and I would say this, this, isn't a, this isn't an area that theologically everybody agrees on. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've, I sat under a pastor and he would say certain things regarding angels that I disagreed with based on my own understanding of what scripture said. And so if you don't agree with everything I say, that's not, not a big deal. I, I don't think anybody has a complete understanding of this. But regarding that, our, we have an eternal soul. <laughs> when we die, that soul is separated from this physical body. And the Bible is clear that in the future, for those who have trusted in Christ, we will be given a new perfect body, a resurrected body that is like Christ's resurrected body. And so there's no indication that we become an angel. We stay human. We stay what we are. And yet we're given a new body in the future that will be a perfect body. And so our soul and our our body are, are two separate, distinct things. There's some issue in my head over the third part, which is a spirit. And my understanding of that, and I won't get into it, is different than a lot of what I've read more recently. And so, like I said, I'm not going to get into that. But, but we have these, these three components of who we are, our body, our soul, and our spirit. And the Bible describes each of those slightly differently. And, but we have this eternal part, and our body isn't the eternal part. But we don't change into something else. But we will get a new body, but it won't be, we won't be an angel body. Those are distinct and different. And then the other misconception is this idea of, does everybody have their own guardian angel? And... I don't see shaking heads or nodding heads on that one. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Do they? Well, it, it, yes and no. I, I'll say no in a general sense, but this verse would maybe give you reason to say that they do. Right? If we look at that. In heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father. So there, like, possessive, right? <laughs> Belonging to. And so, is this, is this a part of who they are, or is this something that belongs to them, or is, or is assigned to them? And there may be some form of assignment to a group of angels for protection of those children. But to say that each person has a angel that is their guardian angel. Um, I don't think scripture really gives us that picture. Let's see if we can show that. Um, the Bible says that there are innumerable angels. We can't even count how many there are. And so... There is more than enough to go around for sure. And we could have a bunch of them assigned to each one of us. And some of us need that more than others. But the Bible describes them as a ministering spirit. And as this verse even points out, some 
are definitely given the charge of watching over God's people. If we want to, we'll turn to a few different scriptures and just have a look at some of these things. So Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1 verse 14. And gives us that definition. They are not all ministering spirits. Sorry, are they not all? <laughs> Sorry, I'll start in verse 13. Well, we got to back up just a little bit. But to watch, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? So he's speaking regarding the angels. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them? Who shall be heirs of salvation? So the angels are sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation. For those who will receive Christ as their Savior, those are the heirs of salvation. There's ministering spirits. The angels are a ministering spirit sent forth to minister to us and basically to intercede on our behalf. To use disasters from a, a earthly perspective, like these tornadoes that have destroyed people's lives. But sometimes it's that tornado that's required to get our attention and to show us that we have a need outside of ourselves, that I can't do this on my own. I need an all-powerful God. And so sometimes we need those things. And sometimes perhaps God sends that destruction in our life to get our attention to point us to our need of him. And so these angels have that role of doing that. If you stay in Hebrews um, chapter 12, Verse 22, and this is just affirming what I said regarding the numbers. But ye are come into, unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, in heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. That's not even saying that that's all of the angels. That's just like, there's just an innumerable company of them <laughs> like we countless i can't we look out and we can't even get a count of how many there are and that's just this company this this group it's not necessarily describing all so we have this limitless number of angels that are available to be assigned to whatever the job is and they certainly do intercede for us. We know, I'm sure we all know this story, but I'm going to turn just to Daniel's chapter 6 for a moment. You know that in Daniel's, Daniel is a captive, but he's 
a captive that's been given a job, and he's given a lot of authority because of how good of a person he was, um, because of how faithful he was, because of how God used him. And at some point, some people who didn't like Daniel got the king to make a decree that nobody could pray to any god but to the king. And Daniel had a habit of, sometimes there's good habits, <laughs> we have a lot of bad ones, but the, Daniel had a good habit. Three times a day, he would go up, sit in his open window, and he would bow on his face before God, and he would pray. And they knew that. And they knew that there was no way that he would stop doing that, which is why they made the decree. And the punishment for the decree was, if you pray to any god except for the king, you're going to be cast into a den of lions. And so, of course, Daniel continues to pray, and they catch him, and they bring him before the king. We caught him praying, and the king is now sorry because he didn't think about Daniel when he made the rule. And he likes Daniel, but they cast him into this den of lions. And in verse 22 of Daniel chapter 6, back to verse 20, and the, the king comes to check on Daniel. It says, And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, a servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. And so Daniel recognizes that God sent his angel to close the lion's mouth. And so yes, we have angels given an assignment of protection of God's people. Go back to, to 2 Kings chapter 6. have the prophet Elisha here and people are look, looking to kill him and he's in a, in a he's in a bad spot I'm going to start in verse 13 so 2nd Kings chapter 6 verse 13 it says and he said go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him and it was told him saying behold he is in Dothan Therefore sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, the city is surrounded by our enemies, they're going to kill us. There's no way out. What are we going to do? And Elisha, he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Can you imagine being that servant at that moment? He was like, look around, Elisha. There is nobody with us. 
and there's a lot of them. But Elisha said, verse 17, and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And rather than killing this, if that was you and me, wouldn't these people are coming for our life, and we see this army of God, wouldn't you just want them to just destroy the enemy? That's not what Elisha does. Elisha is a man of God, and he knows God's heart isn't to just destroy people. And so he prays for deliverance through blindness, and he just turns these people away instead of destroying them. That's not the point of this morning, this topic, but Elisha asks and has this guy's, his servant's eyes opened, and there is, the mountain is full of these chariots of angels who God sent to, to fight for Elisha. There, there, there's, there's a guy that doesn't have one guardian angel, right? This is... There's an entire army of guardian angels sent for this one guy. God doesn't need, God's angels aren't limited in their power. Like, one is enough, but there's enough of them. It's like, I'm leaving no doubt in your mind of what I've got in store for you. And so, the idea of a guardian angel on our behalf isn't, isn't really what we see in Scripture. It's just that when there's a need, God sends his angels. And however many is necessary, and even beyond that, is what gets sent. I'm just going to give another example um, in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5. Apostles are preaching and people don't like it. <laughs> They've made enemies through their preaching. And they've been thrown in jail. Verse 17, Acts chapter 5, verse 17 says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. Verse 19 says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go, Stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together. And the story goes on, they're not happy. <laughs> and we see that the response is, should we obey man or should we obey God? We have to obey God. 
But we see that when they're cast into prison, it says the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. God sends his angels, these ministering spirits, when there's a need and when God has a purpose. It doesn't mean that every time one of us gets thrown in jail, if, I, if, if our government goes any crazier than they already have and we're no longer allowed to preach the gospel and somebody comes in here and, and drags me out and throws me in jail, just because it, God sent an angel to release these guys from jail, doesn't mean that's his purpose for me. I can't expect God to do the exact for me as, as he did for somebody else in scripture. These are just, these are there that we know he's able. He can, but maybe that's not what he wants to do. I just can't expect that God's going to do the same for me as he did for them, because that may not be God's purpose. God had a purpose for removing them and putting them in this place. And the, God might have a purpose for me in that jail, right? No. But God could. <laughs> My kids are shaking their heads. I'm like, no, Dad. <laughs> I don't want to be there. And I know that God could open that door and send me out. And that's what I need to know, is that he's able, and I can trust him to do whatever is best. But he can send. The angels are there, and they can be sent to do those things. They have that power. And that's their, their job is to follow up with these things. I'm going to turn to a, just a couple of verses in Psalms. So this is not an exhaustive study on angels by any stretch. But just to give us a, a picture of, of what their, their jobs are and, and some of the things that God has them doing. Psalm 34, verse 7. And here's something that we can look to for, for comfort. It says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. We trust in God. He, he will deliver us. And then in Psalm 94, verse 11. Very similar. Psalm 91.11 says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. And if you look at the verses leading up to that, verse 7 says, A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean we'll never get sick or anything, but, but there's a protection from God that is available if we have the faith in him. 
if we make him our habitation, commit our lives and trust him, and it's, he sends, he says, I shall, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. That's the purpose of the angels is to protect us, <laughs> to protect God's people. Here's an interesting thought in, in that verse in Matthew 18. Verse 10. It says that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. They always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. I can't remember which verse says which here. Look at Revelation 4, verse 8. Revelation 4, verse 8. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not night and day, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So we, here we have a picture of angels, these particular four, and there's a description that says, The four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not night and day, saying, Holy, holy, holy. They were full of eyes within. Can you picture things in your mind's eye? When we have family members, and I, I was at... Um, uh, ladies hosts yesterday shoveling off her roof and she, I don't know how old she is she's in her 80s but three three of her children I think all three of her children if I understood that correctly passed away this year and so she just commented like she's she's not looking forward to Christmas because the memories right but when we think of these times, and we'll get, you know, as a family, and Christmas is typically a family thing, and we get together with our family. When we can't do that, for whatever the reason is, whether it's through death, or, or just distance, or lockdowns, you name it, um, we make comments that we're, I'm with you in spirit, or, you know, we're, we're together in our minds, Right? And we make that connection that I'm remembering you at this time. I'm remembering events when we did this together, even though we're not together right now. I'm picturing you and my thoughts are with you. And it's as if you're a part of what's going on right now. And we can remember these things. And so we can have someone with us, even someone who has passed away, can still be with us in our mind 
and we can picture those people. And I'm seeing that picture. Is that it says they are full of eyes within. It's like we have our we describe it as our mind's eye. We can create a picture in our mind of events and people and things. Can you imagine having being full of eyes within? These angels have a more complete picture of God that stays in their mind, regardless of if they've given, been given a different assignment to go and do something else. They're still standing before God, worshiping him and praising him all the time. Luke chapter 1. Verse 19. And this is the angel who comes to Zacharias to tell him that uh, they're going to have a son. And that's John the Baptist. In verse 19 it says, And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. This angel Gabriel stands and I don't know if what other versions have done with that word, but this says stand as in present tense, not stands as in possible past tense. <laughs> he is, even though he's they're talking with Zacharias. I'm Gabriel that stands. <laughs> I'm currently standing in God's presence as well. And that's his memory. Even if he's given this assignment, he is also standing before God in God's presence. And so that's, we can picture that in our mind to understand that these angels in Matthew 18 may have a job of taking care of these children. And yet the description that they always are before God can also be true in the way that we understand things. It doesn't have to be a physical, literal presence necessarily. Just a couple more verses. I was going to try to get on to the rest of this passage that we read, but obviously we're not going to do that today. Um, just a couple of verses on children and God's care and knowledge of children. Um, Jeremiah, there's, you know what, there's my entire life that I can think of been, I've heard this, what I would call a verse being quoted, and I searched for that verse. It doesn't exist. <laughs> we say things and we put pieces of scripture together to create something or a concept, and we say it. It doesn't exist. <laughs> the, the verse was that we are knit together in our mother's womb. When I searched those words, knit together, or even knit, 
is, is mentioned, but never in regards to the child. <laughs> it's like, hmm, that's interesting. I don't know if any other versions have it, but certainly mine did not. So, um, but anyway, there, there are other verses that build that picture. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Verse 4 just gives some context. Says, then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. A child is known of God. And we, we see examples of that through Scripture. We see um, Jacob and Esau were in the womb, and God at that point says, Jacob, have I loved, and Esau, have I hated? That was not that God chose ahead of time that he was going to love one and, and hate the other. It's just in his knowledge of who these people were going to become, he knew how they would behave and respond to God. And so he could, ahead of time, make a declaration of, of that statement. But God knows the child before it's even in the mother's womb. And God knows that child as it's developing inside of that mother. And he says it, before I formed thee in the belly, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. God knew who Jeremiah was going to be and how he was going to use him before he was ever born. <laughs> and he knows the same about you and me. Isaiah 44, verse 2. There's a few verses in, in Isaiah that say a very similar thing here. Uses very similar wording. Chapter 44, verse 2 says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jesse, run, whom I have chosen. But he says, Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb. And we just understand that God is forming the child forming the person before they're born. While they're still inside of the mother, God is forming who you are and who you will be. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5 says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so, thou knowest not the works of God, who maketh all. Points us how the bones grow inside the womb. Our science, we try to understand these things, and we come up with these great explanations of things, but God says, you don't know how the bones grow inside of a womb. 
we can't grasp the things that God does and how he creates that life and that person and how we develop from these two microscopic specks <laughs> that come together and start to multiply and create all of the different components of who we are. Anybody that claims to understand that <laughs> is delusional. We know it happens, but we cannot understand how those two cells can become all of the different kinds of cells. I know we have these scientific explanations, but they don't explain what God does <laughs> to make that happen. Nah. <laughs> don't even go there. finish here again in Matthew 18. We started this passage in verse 10. He says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. And verse 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. That's his purpose. is to save those little ones. And we need to come to him with the faith like one of those little ones. And verse 14 says, Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God knows, right? Jeremiah says, Before you were formed, before you were conceived, you were known of God. And Jesus is saying, it's not the will of God that a single one should perish. God doesn't ordain ahead of time for people to go to hell. His desire is that we all should come to salvation. But he knows that we won't. Not all. And he knows. Can you imagine being God knowing as a child is being conceived that that child is going to grow up to be I was going to say <laughs> I've got to be careful who I, I'll take past history Hitler it's going to name current leaders but that's not fair but God still allowed that child to be conceived and to grow and become those evil people that they became, knowing ahead of time that they would be that. Again, if you and I were God, would, would we do that? <laughs> would we still create and allow these people that opportunity to do the evil that they've done? And even to the point where he says, God's not willing that any should perish. Even those who commit atrocities have the ability to repent 
and receive the payment. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient even for those the worst sinner can still repent and receive salvation because Christ's sacrifice was enough. And if anyway, we need to we need to understand that our sin isn't any different than those things that we look at. Our sin will still condemn us to hell if we don't receive Christ. We all need that payment. Let's pray. Lord, I know that the time this morning, even as we read various scripture regarding angels and the things that you've had them do, the assignments that you have given, we can't fully understand their nature, their character, their purpose. Um, but Lord, we see that part of their purpose is to worship you, and a part of their purpose is to be sent for our protection and for directing us in our lives, Lord. So Lord, just help us to, to understand that. Help us to trust you in these things. And then Lord, as we look at your design in our lives, your creation of children, forming them inside their mother's womb, knowing them before they're even conceived. Lord, help us to understand your infinite wisdom and knowledge and just trust you, that you have a plan and that you know exactly what's going to happen and none of it is outside of your control, God. Help us to trust you regardless of what happens in our lives, knowing that you have innumerable angels at your disposal to send for our protection, for our deliverance, Lord. Lord, help us to trust you with that. Help us to trust you in Christ's sacrifice for our salvation. Lord, we just commit these things to you, and we just ask, Lord, that you would just use this time for your glory. In Christ's name. I turn to 133.